Take a listen to this text message. I got it from a friend today. Real. Good morning. I would love your input on my financial situation. I'm not a financial advisor. But he writes, I have almost $1 million in stocks, $650,000 in Apple. We invested in Apple stock back in 2003. All of our investments are in stock. My close friend does real estate and owns many buildings in Brooklyn. I want to invest with him now. To be a partner in his next project, I would need to invest $270,000. I already have $170,000 lined up and I'm lacking $100,000. My question to you is, do I sell $100,000 of Apple stock to invest in real estate and pay the 20% tax and lower my Apple portfolio? Or do I try other methods such as taking from home equity and paying it back over time? Why do I even have stocks if I'm never selling them? Okay. I have no clue what the answer is. I asked a friend, shared it with him, made a connection. But my point is people are being solicited by friends, by family, way more than we think. And this is someone that I did not know or think had this much money. Granted, way back when he invested in a company that has risen dramatically in Apple but it's scary to think about what's happening when people do not get the information they need and they invest their hard-earned money in things that they probably shouldn't. So that is the theme of this episode. We sat down with a hedge fund manager, Jason Lieber, and these were the questions we, we asked him. Not so much what do you do when given a particular situation, but more about what questions you should be asking, what information do you need to make sound decisions. And my hope, my goal is that after you listen to this episode, you are better equipped to know how to respond to somebody when they come over to you with the best investment you've ever heard of. Enjoy this week's episode. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances? Not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. We're here with Jason Lieber, who I just discovered is a brother of a friend of mine from way back when, so you're practically family. Jason, who are you? Why are you on this podcast named Kosher Money? What do you do day to day? Tell the world about yourself. Okay, so um, I had a very typical Flatbush upbringing, um, went to school, went to yeshiva, went to Israel, Toro College. I was a math major. I thought I was going to be an actuary. Um, but there, there are two things I would say I excelled at um, when I was younger. I was really, really good in numbers. I knew all the statistics, all the baseball stats. And the other thing was, and this is really my, my father follows the stock market. And in those days, used to take out the pace, the newspaper every day and check stocks out. So I had a real interest. And and as a young kid, I thought, okay, it must be easy. Uh, buy a stock, watch it go up, sell it. So originally, I was gonna on the course to become an actuary. And the actuary tests weren't really for me. I, I did at one point have a job in a pension firm, which I really didn't care for. And then a lot of it has to do with just, I guess, being the right place at the right time. In the late 90s, people were opening up day trading firms in New York. 
though, found out about one, took my bar mitzvah money, my wedding money, and tried to see if I could make money trading stocks. At that point, America Online was starting and there were stock chat rooms. I had a broker that I knew that we I was starting to look into, into stocks. And that was actually how I fell into it. I started day trading, which is not a typical um, way to get into the finance industry, but that's how I did it. So what are you doing now in the finance industry? Are you still in those AOL uh, chat rooms? Uh, I guess I'm in different chat rooms and different, but but it's it's really a lot more uh, sophisticated than that. I got a lot of skills out of day trading, but I also learned that day trading is not a way to make a living. You would make money one, two, maybe three days in a row and lose it all the fourth day. Eventually, I started working at what we called proprietary trading firms, prop firms. So there were places like Schoenfeld Securities. There were some places that were hiring a, a lot of... Uh, you know, I, these days everyone, you know, works for uh, nursing homes, cash advance. In those days, there were prop trading firms and people started working there. So I, I started working at a firm where they gave me capital. I did pretty well. I was able to survive, not to get my account blown up and really did pretty well going through 08 and 09 through the great financial crisis and the aftermath and the comeback. And in 2010, I decided to open up my own hedge fund. Mm. And what I really did was I was still working in the trading firm, but I, I, I managed to open up my own hedge fund, started with $3 million at a family office that seated me and tried to see if what I did worked for, for hedge fund investors and got off to a good start and, and built it up. And that's what I do today. I, I manage money for high net worth and institutional investors. What makes it a hedge fund versus being a basic portfolio manager? What's the, what, what's the classification? Okay. Well, first of all, there are money managers that manage everybody's money according to their risk profile, according to how much money they have, what they want to invest in. Mm-hmm. A hedge fund generally is, I do everything the same for every every investor. So if somebody has 5% of the money in the fund, every time I buy a stock, they, they're allocated 5% of what I buy. In general, hedge funds, and, and it's not always that case, but we, we are a long-short hedge fund, which means we, we buy stocks that we think are going to do well, and we go short or we bet against stocks that we think have issues. What our general goal is, and I tell people, we don't try to make people rich, we try to keep people rich. So we, we want to protect their money uh, in a bad year. If the market is roaring higher and it's a it's a big, big rally. We might not make as much as the market does. You know, we're not just owning Apple and Amazon and and the you know the crate. We're but on the other hand, on a year like last year where the market had a had a down year, we try to protect our our investors and not lose much money. So that's that's I guess the hedge part of uh, what we do. I was reading a book recently. I'm, I'm in the middle of it. Great book. It's called The Psychology of Money. Morgan Housel, and he talks about the preservation of wealth and how that is a major challenge for people. Many people find success and, and they grow their wealth, but holding on to it, uh, passing it to the next generation is a, is a real challenge. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Okay, so you're in the hedge fund stocks. How much of your day is research, looking, reading, sponging is that is that a big component of, yeah, of your life that's that's everything mm. that's that's really the whole day and and uh, very often at night i use twitter or i guess you could call it x a lot it's interesting there's a lot of smart people you just got to find them and there's a lot of dumb people on the, on these uh websites also but we have access to a lot of institutional research 
So we get so I'll read through um, the reports from Goldman Sachs on a stock. We sometimes uh, look at industry stuff. We find things on YouTube. Really anything we could find. We do a lot of um, industry sector. We're like right now we're very involved in artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. which is AI. So we're we're not only looking for companies that benefit from AI, but also companies that um, that get hurt by AI. You know, one example uh, there's a company called Chegg, which helps people who. Uh, you know, with their homework, I guess. And the problem is, if you're just able to go to ChatGPT and ask people for the for the answer, why would you need to pay $20, $30 a month for a subscription? So we're always looking for ideas. And, and not only not only does it research, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking, how does this affect the market when, you know, the pandemic hit? You know, what we, what we look at is, okay, that's good for Peloton because people can't go to the gym. That's good for Zoom because you have to work remote. That's bad for movie theaters. I see my kids a few years ago, they were they were at home playing Fortnite. I go researching, how do I benefit from Fortnite? And we found a uh, a company that works on the um, on the speakers, on the on the earphones for for gaming and was very it was really benefiting from it. You know, my wife comes and, and tells me that everyone at the gym is wearing Lululemon. I start doing work on Lululemon. So you really have to feel it. And there's a guy, Peter Lynch, who was uh, the the Magellan uh, fund manager, and he writes a lot about it. But you know, he advises people to invest in things that you understand and that and that you know, and not invest in things that are like you know. We 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 really don't invest in biotech. You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be one. I'm not a scientist. So I generally stick away from that because it's not something I understand. Okay, a few things on this. You mentioned being on Twitter. Now it's called X. There's a lot of smart people. A lot of dumb people. What do you see that makes someone smart? What do they have to say? What do they have to share? What What are the signals that given your now decades of experience, what classifies someone as being smart in the investment arena? There's a book, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell. Sure. And if you do something for 10,000 hours, you become an expert in that. And I, I far surpassed that. I probably have, uh, you know, really good instincts on it. But, you know, you want people who are not biased. I hear people, uh, you know, Biden's going to be president, so we got to sell all our stocks. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. I, I don't really care who the president is. You got to make money money either way. So you want you want people who are not panicking, who are not super excited and hyping, but but have smart things to say. And you, look, you can understand if somebody has knowledge on an industry. And also in terms of what not to invest in, um, so, um, you know, there's a famous saying by Mark Twain when he talks about a gold mine. A gold mine is a hole in the ground with, an, with a liar standing next to it. So, you know, when someone has something like, like, like a gold mine, he could say whatever he wants. Like, I have tons of gold in it, and you have no way of disproving it. And I think that's also what people see in crypto also. I, crypto might be less than a hole in the ground. It might, it might be absolutely nothing. Now, there's ways to invest in crypto. But when somebody says all these like fancy words, by me, it's very simple. Is it useful? Do, what, what does Bitcoin do for me? Is it worthwhile? You know, so, so when I see something like a, a company like Uber, which has a real need, it solves a lot of issues. It gets you where you want to go. You don't have to call. You don't have to pay for it. You, you know when your, your car is arriving. It's an obvious use case. But if, but if you have people sending you these investments and they don't have any really explanation of why it's good for you, why you need it, and it's more just about, well, you're going to make a ton of money. Those are things I, I avoid. I try to stick to things that make sense, 
that are real and you got to find people that you could trust. I mean, there's a lot of things I could tell you sure. who not to trust, but and we'll get into the trust and the affinity side of things, but for someone listening, right? And and they say, "Okay, they 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 get some sort of lead, some sort of hunch that such and such newer product is part of a service that is offered by a publicly traded company. So I'm going to, you know, Jason said on on the podcast that if you use something, it's great. If they were to invest in it, there are so many variables that can affect a stock's price, right? The CEO could become sick. A new company can come and compete with them that has much deeper pockets. How do you keep that in mind or even act on that, knowing that a stock price is not solely impacted by your child using a certain product or your wife wearing a certain brand of clothing? So first of all, there there are two aspects anyway. Number one is, is a company good? Is it useful? And number two, what price are you paying for it? So that that's a whole other topic that people, I, I always hear people in our neighborhood, you know, talking about, well, this company's great, but you have to understand, I mean, you know, look, Apple is arguably the best company in the world, but right now you're paying closer to 30 times earnings for it. And a few, couple years ago, you could have paid 20 times earnings. So is it a is it worth more today than yesterday? Maybe you really have to be 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 aware of of the price. One thing I would say about about also about the different variables is you you could never be certain. Number one, if if somebody wants to rip you off, and anybody could take your money, you know everybody who's invested has been, including me, has been ripped off or scammed in in some sort of a way. And there's always things that could go wrong. You know there are people. Uh, People follow sports. There were people who, you know, might have had a great bet on that uh, Aaron Rodgers would throw two touchdowns, but you know you can't predict he would have gotten injured on the on on the third or fourth play. You can't, you know, I don't think uh, people could predict the pandemics or 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 anything like that. And what I do, by the way, is I'm I'm very often not right. My strategy is not to be right 100% of the time. And in, in fact, I may not even be right 50% of the time. My strategy is that when I'm right. I, I earn well in excess of what I lose when I'm wrong. So first of all, any investment I make is not guaranteed. I like investing in publicly traded companies because um, you're able to sell. You're able to get out if, if it's not working that way. So that's something that's very, that's very important. But, but the main thing I would say is there are no guarantees. If you invest in good things and, and have the right reasons, and over time, you could do well. I really do not like investing in private companies. There's just too much that could go wrong. I would invest in, in, in people who do this professionally, who have uh, contracts in place, who are on the board, and who, and who have a lot of expertise. But in general, it's very difficult to invest in private companies. There are hedge funds dedicated to only investing in private companies? Yeah, so there are private equity funds, uh-huh. and there are venture capital funds. So the big venture capital funds, that, that's what they do. They... And they get the deals. And part of the reason why, you know, what, 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 why do I think I could uh, offer here? I've done a lot of this. I've put money in private companies. And then I've, you know, realized over time that a lot of work goes into it. And most of the time you lose money. There's a lot of ways to get ripped off. Sometimes the idea is not as good as you think. Sometimes it is and the money just doesn't flow to you. And you just have no way, no way to get out of it. So it's really for people with larger amounts of capital. The good venture capital funds, um, very often one out of 10 is a big winner. You have to be able to invest in 10 different companies 
in theory, to as an, on average get get one big winner. So it's really not really not recommended. I had someone call me up last week, uh, you know, saying about a private company that they're getting at a discount, and just like that, you're picking one name out of nowhere. You don't really understand it. Um, and it's a very very easy way easy way to lose money. Much better ways to do than that. We'll be right back to this week's episode, but first I want to tell you about Kol Chabad. You've heard about them. They are the organization that is helping so many needy families, needy people in Israel with food, shelter, clothing, you name it. And they're doing this together with the Israeli government. So every dollar you donate, every shekel you donate goes a long way. I'm reading here that in the high holidays in 2023, they are helping over 60,000 families directly. That is phenomenal. That means 60,000 people, just from a particular initiative, this is not everyone, but a particular initiative together with the Israeli government, 60,000 people will not be going hungry this new year. That is something that we're trying to drive home week in, week out, I'm actually going to Israel, and we will see this up front, live and in living color. I'm going to be at the Pantry Packers. If you actually go look up Pantry Packers, we can connect you with them. Click on the link, kolchabad.org. Find the Pantry Packers. You and your family can go and pack food. It's a very, very impactful experience for the entire family. If you have the ability to donate, Please do. More and more people are doing recurring donations, even a small amount, $10, $18, $100. People from across the world, not just the U.S., someone out in the Midwest just donated many thousands of dollars after hearing this ad, and we can't thank you enough. So click the link, donate, and now back to this week's episode. Do you think a lot of people are losing their pants on these day trading apps or these newer apps that give you the ability to trade without much experience. I mean, it's the ease of ease of use. Everyone was always able to trade somehow, but now you take a, a phone out of your pocket, you saw an ad, you got a tip in a coffee room and yeah. you know, you're you're just sliding money in without even So day trading, I could tell you the failure rate on day trading is over ninety five percent. But that's really straight up day trading, which means you're trying to make small moves on it. Very, very difficult. I I I recommend nobody does that. I know very, very few people who are successful in that. But in terms of trading on your own and people who buy, uh, you know, companies like Apple, NVIDIA, real, real companies, and they buy it and they're careful and they hold it for long term, you could you could definitely make money that way. I know there's been a lot of suggestions on this show about indexing and uh, buying over time. And, and for most people, that is the best, absolute best thing. I tell my kids... Pick one day a month and and put money into into the SPY and the QQQ, which are the main index funds for the S&P and for the NASDAQ tech index, and put it in, and 25, 30 years down the road, you will do very, very well. It's always worked. If you invest in in real estate, which I think is, is a reasonable pl- place to put money, but you don't have the ability to sell when you want, you could get in the wrong deal for the wrong reasons, and it's it's very it, it's a difficult thing to do as well. But I think for most people, indexing is great. But but there is a place for investing in in good companies that you understand that are that make sense to you for the right reason. So if someone came to you, they're making a bar mitzvah, they just got married, and they have wedding money. It's limited funds. 
could be $5,000, $10,000, and they want to invest it for the long term. Would you say indexing is the way to go? Or when someone's younger, they have a crazy amount of years ahead of them, God willing, they should get a little bit more free with their money. They should think about things beyond a basic index fund. Yeah, the first thing is is index fund. There was an advertisement that I think uh, I, I saw on, on Twitter at, the, at that time, pretty controversial, where someone suggested taking money out of index funds to invest in a different fund. And I, I, what really bothered me was I would never say take money out, out of index funds. Keep your money in the index funds. Take extra money and put it in other things. So the first step is definitely for anybody who's recently married, has wedding money, gets a, a certain amount of money for any reason, indexing is certainly it. It's it's really when you get to a different point of time where you where you set aside a nice amount in your fund and you're adding every month, but you have extra capital for any reason, then you might want to look at at a real estate deal or at a stock or or some sort of a private equity fund. There there are there are things to do at that point. Is there a percentage breakdown that you say okay, 90% I'm in traditional index funds, the more safe or the tested and true investment vehicles, and 10% I'm going to dabble in other things, real estate, etc. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the person and their risk tolerance. And some people just like to do this. Some people want to be investors and, and like the stock market. I mean, I, I think you have to put time into it. You have to be willing. If you're not going to put time into it, then you might as well keep it at zero to 10. But I would I would definitely say for most people, and I'm not a, I'm not a wealth manager, so I, you know there might be different thoughts on this, but, but I would certainly at least keep half the money in index funds. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of stories where people took out loans to invest, borrowed from other people? And when you're exposed to a story like that or a scenario, what's your reaction? I've seen in certain cases, uh, first of all, people borrowing, but, but also people investing in ways that they shouldn't. You know, People in, in one hedge fund, that should not even be a hedge fund investor. Hedge mm-hmm. fund investors are really for people. I mean, there, there's in some hedge funds, uh, you need a, a million dollar net worth. In some hedge funds, you need to be a qualified investor, which means you, you need $5 million in, of investments in order to invest in, in, this, in a specific fund. So when you see certain people like that who, who make a, an average type of living, it, it, it's the wrong place to be. There, there are a lot of people doing things that, that they should not be. How important is past performance? And they always have that disclaimer about past performance. Do you think there's any value to it, even though it's not a guarantee of what's going to happen in the future. But does it show any credibility or people should ignore what success or lack thereof someone has had in the past? So I'll speak specifically about the hedge fund industry. And most hedge funds show a what we call a tear sheet, which will show your monthly numbers, your, your net to investor numbers over the history of your fund. And it also very often has certain types of sharp ratios, which sh- which sh- really show how volatile it is. But you could really see, look, there's a difference between a fund that earns, uh, you know, one or two percent a month and sometimes loses one percent from a fund that makes 15, loses 12, makes eight. You have to look at the volatility, which is very important. But but if you see a real history and this fund is an audited fund that has a proper administrator in place. It is, it is the most valuable thing. I invest in other hedge funds, and that's something that I, I feel I understand because I'm in the industry, more so than investing in, in real estate deals. 
the history of that performance is very, very important. When you get to a real estate deal and everyone, the problem with real estate deals are there really is no past performance. You know, they may tell you this deal or that deal. There's usually no clear list of everything. It's not even audited. It's not, it's very hard to make a case. It would be very important and very helpful to look at every, it's all about past performance. People who, who've done it before and know what they're doing generally are, you're in a good, you're in good place with them. But in the real estate world, it's very hard to know. Uh, in the hedge fund world, it, it's very, very important. You mentioned audited, and I want to get into that a little bit because people who don't have the experience and the knowledge to know what's credible and what's not, they'll see an article. It could be in a newspaper, a magazine, a fly-by-night WhatsApp status that says recent success over 600%, guaranteed 112%. And they, you know, they'll dabble in it. Sometimes they'll give way more than anyone should ever give to uh, someone they don't know. What does it mean audited? Audited by who? And how do you know that the company or person you're dealing with is actually credible and not fudging or making up some audit firm that they just placed on a piece of paper? It's very hard to to do this as an average person, but... Look, you want you want an auditor that is a, that is a recognizable name, that is not a two or three person accounting firm. It should be twenty, thirty partners, multiple offices. You know, we we personally use Deloitte, which is a a top accounting firm, and it's very important. We we spend a lot of money because we we want people to to understand that that we're 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 doing this for real. We're not trying to hide anything. So the name is 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 extremely important. First of all, you you never want to see guarantees, especially in this world. Anytime anyone says guaranteed 15, 20%, you could pretty much run the other way. But if something actually has an, a real auditor and an administrator is also important because our administrator sends monthly results and and is tied into our accounts and I don't even touch any money. The money goes to the administrator. Which is which is a good thing. I don't want to touch anybody's money. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be involved in that process. You can make a call and confirm that the auditor is is really the auditor for this firm, and I don't think they'll give too much information. But there's no reason they can't confirm. You know, if they're listed on on a paper, they should confirm or deny it. So that's what you could do. And I have someone in my office who who's a securities lawyer and looks over all the documents. And most people. On even on real estate deals, just sign things. They never look. They never understand what they're what they're getting into. And more people should really uh, should really look over documents because sometimes you could spot out a problem just by what's in the documents and how it's how it's formulated. We've seen inside our Jewish communities, also the world at large, a recent series of stories where people were chasing higher returns. They're not happy with five, six, seven, eight percent. It's too boring. And they've gotten badly burned. And it's tragic. And sometimes we're hearing these stories weekly, monthly, and they're losing everything. It's a collapse of whatever it return they thought they got. Their principal is wiped out. I think we can probably spend the rest of the episode just talking about that. Number one, has this always been the case? And just because the world's more social now, we're finding out about it. Or do you think there's truly been an uptick in these stories? Well, I I think it's gotten very very difficult to live in our in our community. 
costs are expensive. So there, there probably is some uptick. But what really happens is a lot of these issues and problems take place. But what happens is when there's a downturn, they all come to light. And, and that's what happened back when Madoff, when the market was dropping, and, and that's why you know, he, he ran out of money. He, he wasn't able to, to hide it anymore. And now there's been some real estate uh, difficulties and interest rates are up. So now is when things come to, come to light. Um, and but there, there probably is a slight uptick, but it's, it, it's always around. It's always been there and probably will always be. I, I, look, there's very few people who go into something saying, I want to steal people's money. It does happen, but it's it is pretty rare. The bigger problem is what happens when something goes wrong in the investment. Are they hiding it? Very often, they don't want to admit that you know I made a mistake and I'm not as uh, I'm not as good as the other people who are you know you think everybody else is making tons of money and and you don't want to be the one who 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 lost and it and it will hurt your career. So then you double down and that's just really typical of what happens and. You know, so so you want to be in situations number one where they can't hide it, where there's people involved and there's people looking looking out and and understanding what's going on, and it's difficult it's difficult to hide it, and 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 you want to be with people who who you believe are are willing to be real and 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 admit and not take a risk and not uh, and you know I like for me I I sometimes really flashy people it's a little bit of a red flag for me mm. um, because. I find those are the type of people that have a hard time toning it down and they, they have to do business and they try to jump and do many deals. You know, there's a few things. I, I, I People who, who name drop a lot, uh, people tell me so-and-so is, in the, is, is invested in my deal. You know, you should never invest because some rich guy in the neighborhood is investing in their deal. And if anything, you should go, go to ask the guy uh, and check it out from him. And why is he, you know, is he really invested? Why is he invested? Also, I don't invest in people who tell me how honest they are because I believe honest people are just honest. They don't have to. Uh, I'll give you a story on that. Um, I know he's not one of the popular people in the, in, in the Jewish world, but, uh, but George Soros was once playing um, a tennis match with one of the, a guy who was trading for him. This trader said to him, you know, I could have called the ball that you hit um, out because you wouldn't have been able to see it, but I'm so honest so George Soros immediately audited all the guy's trades for the last year mm. because he felt that someone trying to show that they're honest m- might be might be something wrong. So that that's just something that that I've seen it happen. And I'll just give another story. Um, this was a weird one. Uh, so a few months ago, I was in Minneapolis on a stock conference, investing conference, and you meet different public companies. So um, I met this uh, this company. It's it's called Applied Digital. I met the CEO and the chief marketing officer. The chief marketing officer was a, was a lady who really was not dressed very appropriately. I, and I thought it was a little weird, but I, I, really, I really figured it out when my sales coverage, who's just a, a ra- random guy, said he couldn't believe how she was dressed. The other issue was she was on her phone texting my, the entire meeting. Now, I was, I was mainly, mainly speaking to the CEO, but it was just completely inappropriate to, to be part of a meeting and really just being on our own thing. It, it turns out there was some sort of scandal in this company, and uh, we, we owned stock in it. We, we, we sold our stock, we went short, and it worked out. So there's, sometimes things are obvious. that You, you see people, it, it doesn't look right. It doesn't make sense. It's very, very difficult. And, and you know, if somebody wants to take your money, he could take it. You know, everybody who invests has been ripped off 
even on good investments, on things that made sense, from reputable people, from great families, from uh, all sorts of things. You, you couldn't believe it. I, I've seen, I've personally been involved in, in cases where, where it's ripped off, where, where you get ripped off. And, and that's what a part of, part of what I'm saying is you're not always going to be right. And you've got to live to live for another day. And uh, if you put all your eggs in one basket, as they say, you're, you could be in, you could be in trouble because you could, you could bet big on the, on the wrong name. It's a numbers game. You, you, you invest wisely on, with good people, uh, carefully, and over time, you generally will do well investing. A quick break from this week's episode. We have Shmuel Shaiwitz in the house with our official real estate question of the week. Shmuel, true or false? Bum, 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 bum. Do you need to be wealthy to get involved in real estate investing? It's a big misnomer. You do not need to be wealthy. You don't need to have experience. You need to have a plan. You need to have some guidance. You need to have a framework and some goals on what you're looking to accomplish. But anyone and everyone who puts in an effort has a good team of people around them helping guide them can get into real estate. Obviously, it does take some capital, but you could be teamed up with people who have the capital. If you have the street smarts to go out there and find the property, I always boil it down to two things, finding and funding the deals. You need to find the homes and you need to fund the homes. You can do both of them. You could do one of them, and then you can be teamed up with somebody else who can help you do the thing that you're not so good at. And don't be that person that runs, hears this, and taps into the equity of their own home and invests because they heard a tip finding and funding. Speak to a real estate professional. Don't make the mistakes many others have made. Let people like Shmuel guide you. You need a real professional to do it. Don't do it alone. Shmuel Shaiwitz can be found, approvedfunding.com slash koshermoney. Link is in the show notes. Look them up. Tell them your friends that Kosher Money sent you. And now back to this week's episode. Yeah, you've hit on uh, quite a few things that I'm noticing from this chair is a recurring theme, right? Number one is the regret bias. The the When someone gets burned, they just pull all their money out and and they never invest in anything in the future. But even the most successful people the investors that have done well, even Warren Buffett has had so many failures over the course of it, but you only need to be right a, a few times and not putting, di you know, diversifying, not putting all your eggs in one basket. I want to talk about affinity fraud, right? This idea that someone you trust, whether it's a family member, a good friend is giving you a tip, is managing your money and something goes wrong, right? After hearing about affinity fraud, I would say, okay, if I want to stay level-headed, I would never invest with a family member or a friend, not just because I want to keep the relationship pure, but because my biases, my relationship might lead me to make the wrong financial decision based on that connection. Is that, in your mind, an appropriate and true way to go about it to keep things kosher? Or no, there is a way to work together with a friend, a family member to invest, but you need to do A, B, and C. It would be best not to not to invest, but it's it's very difficult not to, especially if you have some extra money and and the person might be counting on you and it might hurt your relationship not to invest in them. I have at times do it. I don't like doing it. I try to keep those to a, to a minimum in terms of money and amount of times I do it, and I might give somebody one shot. So it's hard to, for me to say, never do it. The one thing I would say is that people should not have, first of all, you should not have FOMO. 
everyone thinks I'm going to miss this investment and it's going to go to the moon. It, it's very, very rare. I, I don't know people who've you know taken one random investment and it turns out to be the next Amazon. It's very, very rare for that to happen. The other thing that when, when I get investments, when people come to me, and I say this for myself, but everyone should say it, is why is it coming to me? If it's such a great investment, it probably wouldn't come to me. There is very, very wealthy, sophisticated uh, investors in our neighborhood, in the city, uh, everywhere from Goldman Sachs up to Warren Buffett, uh, Blackstone, BlackRock. If there's a really good investment, we're probably not seeing it. The investments that we're seeing, and I include myself, are far lower quality and and lower chance of of success. And you know, even even the top investors and the top firms have a lot of failures. Take a look at uh, FTX and uh, Sam Bank Bankman Fried. Smartest people were in it and 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 lost money there. So everybody could lose money. I'd be very careful with with friends and and family. It could ruin. It could it could cause a lot of problems. I think you got to do it with a small amount of money that way that you could live with if it doesn't work. You never really want to put money with somebody and and realize that if it goes bad, you're going to hate the guy because you just don't want it to be to be in that situation. And if that it's, it's you'd rather invest in somebody you don't you don't know. Sure, you see you see that a lot with people who come to a friend and say so and so made a lot of money with this, you should get involved. They're still on the ground floor and the person's guard goes down. And then when that person gets burned, you think to yourself, that person's an intelligent person, right? Where did, where did it go wrong? And they made more of an emotional decision because they put their guard down. Yeah, it's a little bit It's a little bit of FOMO. Look, you hear the stories of everybody making a ton of money mm-hmm. and the deal's going great. And this guy, you know, you hear it in Atlantic City. You hardly ever hear the guy who lost a ton of money. And, right. and you don't hear the 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 real estate de- you don't hear about the real estate deals that go bad and the funds that close down. You hear when they go you know the real the real disasters when when there's a scam or something you might hear that. But in general, most of the times you're not going to miss you're not missing anything. Um, investing is very hard and requires a lot of work. And I'll, I'll give you another example. Um, you know, I very very rarely invest in in private companies, but uh, I recently did uh, something that was AI related. So. One of the things I did is I spoke to some of the large investors. So I had a Zoom with uh, one of their investors from California, and and he told me he actually told me that uh, he gave Elon Musk his first programming job. So what I do first thing I do is I Google it to see if he's telling me the truth, and there was an article about it. So I I I, I did believe he came. But but more important, what he told me is they looked at this technology of the company. They have they're a team of engineers, and they re-engineered the specifications of the algorithm and the chip. They re-engineered it in their own lab, and they verified the results. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to prove to themselves that this was a real investment. Now, you know, we, we all invest because somebody says something's a great product. There are people out there who are doing real, real work. And I'm not, I'm not capable of re-engineering uh, somebody's product, but I was able to ask somebody and and you know that that was very very meaningful to me that somebody else who put in millions of dollars into this investment did a lot of work. So we're really sitting here just on feelings and oh this sounds good, but but there are people who who really know what they're doing and 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 do real real work and and we're almost competing with them. Um, so we we should got to be very 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 careful who and where and when we invest. 
we mentioned before crypto and assuming someone does have the money and a small amount of it to invest in so-called alternate investments, right? Not the index funds of the world. What, what are examples of alternate investments for starters? I'm not a fan of, of crypto. Uh, there are people who know what they're doing in crypto. Uh, a lot of fraud in the whole industry, a lot of scams. It is a legitimate technology. There, is, there are companies that are going to do well, and there are people who know what they're doing. I don't even know how to find the person who knows what they're doing, but there are people who know what they're doing. But, so, but, but that's not really a, a real, in my mind, investment. The real alternative investments are um, hedge funds and, and private equity funds and venture capital. And you have to find large ones. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert in that area. There are money managers who know where to find them. Uh, but you know, the, the big names, Blackstone, uh, KKR, those types of places. And, but there's, there's other ones. There's a lot of really, really big firms with uh, track records mean something. And, and you know, ask people who, who invest. There, there are a number of family offices. If you know people who work in a family office or, or, or run a family office, there, there are people to ask. There are funds that, you know, you're talking more two hundred and fifty to $500,000 investments. It's not really for, for people below that. But, uh, but there, are, there are places to go. That's the alternative world. If someone wanted to diversify into real estate, and we touched upon this, we did a whole episode on it. And I do find that the more I hear about it, more and more people are investing into real estate, maybe not in today's climate. But what should people be considering, and I guess put on your real estate hat, because you said that's not something you you do too much of, but what what comes to mind when you are approached with a real estate deal? What are the questions you want to be asking? What do you want people to keep in mind? Very simply today, um, you have to understand that the risk-free rate is 5%. So two years ago, when when you couldn't earn any money in the bank, it was a lot easier to go into a deal. The deals worked better. They looked better. Um, the, the, the financing was very helpful. And now you need a much better deal. So, you know, right now I'm looking at deals that are distressed, that are, that are a troubled deals that someone's buying either off, uh, off the bank, buying at a discount. But um, in terms of what to ask for, first of all, skin in the game. Um, you want to know how much they're putting in. It's very important that the principal put in their own money and not just throwing their fee in. There should re be real, real money because you want them to have a reason for doing this deal. You generally want to find places who, ha who have reputations, who have names. It doesn't mean that they, they you're going to make money there. There are some specific things, but the other thing I would say is everyone has friends in, in the real estate industry. Find somebody smart, share, them, share with them the deal, ask them what questions to ask. I sometimes send someone uh, some of my deals and he's like, well, 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 this property is 96% occupied. How much higher could it go? It only has downside. You know, there, there are there are cases you will invest in something. Um, uh, you know, you don't only have to invest in an eighty percent occupied and get it up. But there are there are certain things to to be aware of. And and you know, look, you have to look at what the return is. Every real estate deal I see says their value add. There, it's it's priced lower than the market. They're going to renovate, raise rents. You can hear that by everybody. But you you want to make sure that they know what they're doing. And most real estate um, people that you know, in the community are very reputable and do a good job. The bigger funds, the bigger groups are, are always safer and they, they could stand behind uh, their product. And if anything goes wrong, they do a better job of fixing it.
So we mentioned private companies, and I, and I want to talk about that specifically when a friend comes over to another friend and says, hey, I'm starting up a new business, right? Assuming that person is trustworthy, that in some ways is an alternative investment, right? Yeah. They could be putting their money into SPY, but they're going to allocate it towards a friend's business. What should they be thinking? What should they be asking? Assuming they don't have a day-to-day job at this company, it's just a cash infusion in exchange for stock. Is that something you've ever been approached? Do people come to you for advice on that? So the first deal I ever did was um, a, a company called Mr. Prepaid in Baltimore, Maryland. And great entrepreneur. He was uh, he was terrific, but I was very hands-on on it. It was a very small investment, but it did extremely well. And we sold the company seven years later. Virtually every other time I did something, it was a disaster. Either I invested because some other, you know, some big name was investing in it. It sounded great. The guy came highly recommended. It is definitely an alternative investment. Uh, if somebody comes a one-off deal, 99 plus percent, I, 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 tur- I, I turn down. I'm really not interested. And if I do, it is a minimal amount. You know, I had a couple of cases where, and some of them have done, have done okay, but I do very, very small amounts. I, I, don't, I, I think people shouldn't do it. If you never do a private company investment, uh, you're not going to lose out. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I, it, I don't want to end uh, industry. It's good. You know, look, people need to start businesses. And if you're really involved, at least if you're doing it, you, you should be, you can't just do one business. You should, you should be somebody who puts into five, six, seven businesses, but you need, you need legal advice and you need board representation. And you got to make sure that, that there's a, a real accountant on that you get uh, reporting. It's, it's very, very messy. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, very often I've been in these things and early on and, Someone's like, well, I'm I'm running it. I'm only going to take a, a hundred thousand dollar salary uh, just to live, and then we're going to do well. And then the company starts doing better, and then obviously he needs a two hundred fifty thousand dollar salary, and then he's got to hire um, his his brother and his cousin, and you never end up seeing the money. Like the company might it might be okay, but how do you get the money out? Um, how do you how do you win here? You have no say. You have no right. You can't sell your shares. There's no market for it. There might not be any dividends. It, it it's just it's a mess. And and I, I would say one one thing is, uh, just don't do it. Got it. I think the next answer to my next question is it depends. But I'll pose the question anyway. Someone that's looking to either start a business or assuming he has the funds, acquire a business from, let's say, an aging owner who wants to get out. Are there pros and cons to both? Which one should he move forward with? Start from scratch or purchase, but actually invest more money into it? I, I don't think I'm really um, an entrepreneur like that. So I, I think people have done well acquiring businesses, but I know people have also gotten ripped off. And, and a lot of times, uh, even if you have an accountant look at it, it doesn't turn out to be as as good a business. So I, I, I like I know very often you have to really fix it up. But I, I think you could do fine acquiring a business if you're if you know what you're doing and you understand it. Starting from scratch is 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 a great way to do it. Um, if you have a good idea, absolutely. And and look, I wouldn't put money into these things, but you should still go around looking for it and finding somebody who will help you. And very often it's family. Uh, you know, maybe somebody who has a little extra could give it a shot. You have to have a good plan and do things uh, um, appropriately and legally. And, and and a lot of times they work out. I'd imagine a lot of times those acquired businesses fall apart because 
many of the relationships or the business someone had was a result of the previous owner and that sort of fizzles away. Going back to Mr. Prepaid, part of the, or it sounds like part of the reason or a good chunk of the reason you were successful is because you were involved day to day, which leads me to my next point. I think if I was approached by somebody to invest in a business, I think it's more about who that person is more than the idea. I find the more and more that I do this, ideas are easy. Everyone has ideas. It's about execution, right? If I find that the person, the CEO, the the major stakeholder is fully committed to making this a success, I don't think it's as important what the idea or what the business is. I can get behind somebody like that, right? Well, investing management is extremely important. I, I've learned it the hard way. Uh, you know, I, I I was invested in in a company which had which was doing great, making a lot of money, and we didn't like management, but we felt there was a lot of value, and uh, they ended up doing a project, and it overran, and it didn't work out, and we had to, we had to get out. You know, I've learned it a, a number of times. Um, the management is very often more important than the product. I know some funds and some investors that they only invest based on on management. A quick break from this week's episode to tell you about Twillery. This is not their message. This is my message. I wear Twillery. Obviously, I'm a paid spokesman. But for some reason, over 700 people, first-time users, saw our ad, used the promo code, and placed an order. Some of you bought what I'm wearing now, these uh, button-down shirts. You can buy polo shirts. They have pants. And they have something, a term, I've never heard this before, hyper-breathable. So when you put on their blazers, their pants, there's this sort of stretch material. It feels comfortable. It feels like you can actually breathe in clothing for the first time. So I'm not telling you to buy their clothing if you are not you are not in the market for clothing. But if you are in the market for clothing and you want durability, you don't want to spend money on clothing that will not last you six months a year. You want to buy things that will last and are comfortable. Then Twillery is the right piece of clothing for you. Do not buy it if you are not in the market for clothing. We are about responsible spending. But if you are in the market or if you are going to be in the market, consider Twillery. The link is in the show notes, twillery.com slash koshermoney. Most important thing is to use the promo code CHAI, C-H-A-I. It means 18, $18 off your first purchase of 139 so subtract 18 I believe it's free shipping also. So check it out. Um, lots of good things. They have quite a few different pieces of clothing. They have suits, pants, shirts, uh, button-down polo, different types, different styles. Very, very comfortable. More and more people are... Buying it because we're super popular and no, um, it works. It's it's great, great clothing. I've said enough. Okay, just click the link. You can actually, if you're on YouTube, you can scan the QR code, which is kind of cool, and head over there, take a look, save it, enjoy. Now back to this week's episode. Let's say someone's in that awful situation. They've gotten ripped off. You said it's happened to you in the in the past. I don't know if what was done to you was illegal or simply misleading. What's the best course of action after that happens to somebody? What did you do in your situation? Um, is it just, you know, picking yourself up, dusting off, 
uh, I would imagine sometimes there's a legality component to it. First of all, it obviously gets into into halacha. You know, it, it's the same thing as as, as always. It's, it it would be better if people went to the proper authorities because that would end it. And unfortunately, people go back to the well and do it again. Um, I know in one case, um, people raised money to actually support some of the people who lost in in, in an effort to uh, keep the keep the the person out of trouble. Uh, another case, my COO, uh, you know, put in some calls and tried to ask for the money back and pay us back over time, and it worked to a little degree. And I think I once said, "Just give me a little mo- money more back, and and I'll 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 forget I'll forget about the rest." And I got half of it paid back. Thankfully, the, those were those were smaller investments that I did. And sometimes in the smaller investments, I don't look as 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 well, or I, you know, they were both very reputable people. It happens. Um, so look, it's it's something to be to be examined. Um, you know, I I people generally will not call the federal uh, authorities, but uh, sometimes um, if somebody does, that that really puts an end to it and stops other people from doing it. It's a problem in our community. Yeah, it's it's. And, and and like I said before, it's a it's a problem in many communities. But yeah. because we're we're very close knit, um, yeah. and if there are a few bad apples, it, it could impact everyone. But when you know, it's it's a good halachic question to ask. In that, if you're protecting a bad apple, and that bad apple is going to go spoil other good apples long after you've uh, finished dealing with that person, are you doing a, a disservice to the community? And when we say disservice, this is impacting lives, if not generations. That it's a it's a real question to ask. Yeah, I mean, I I've been in the situation, and I've I've never gone, and but I but I felt that that might be the best thing to do. It's a it's a really tough, it's a really tough question. There's no good answer to it. Right, and and I, I see increased frustration surrounding it, whether it's on LinkedIn or in WhatsApp messages, and there's nothing worse than being ripped off. I was telling people, you know, sometimes you could buy a stock that looks okay, or most of the, the investments you have a chance. But when you invest in something that's like DOA, it's you never even had a chance, and it's a really, really bad feeling that someone just took your money. And and I don't think it's part of the equation, you know, when they say more risk, more reward. I don't, I don't think those that that's the same. I don't. I think it's apples and oranges, right? Yeah, more risk, more reward, but. Being overly trusting or committing too much money, like you said, if you're going to invest in alternative investments, make sure that if you are to lose your principal, it's not going to be something that will cause you not to sleep at night. Yeah, And I think there's a lot of value to that. Okay, before we get to your closing remarks, if someone does have a follow-up question or a comment, is there a, a good way to reach out to you? Is it on LinkedIn? Is it a yeah, company Yeah, you can find website? me on LinkedIn, uh, Jason at MitaCapital.com uh, as well. Happy to you know see, what, see if I could help out anybody who needs some advice in the industry. It's very hard to break into this industry. Uh, the hedge fund is uh, world hires um, from two or three schools, for better or worse. Uh, th- that's, just, that's just the way, the way it is. It also uh, helps to have connections. But but really really it's a it's a difficult place. It's it's a lot easier to to, to jump into real estate. But but in, in certain cases we've we've had we've had interns in the summer who've been been successful at finding jobs. And if if you if you have a passion for the industry, it's a great place. You could really have a great career here. Otherwise, you're better off being an actuary. Yeah, actuary or uh, or or real estate. That's what I tell people generally. 
are there books that you recommend to people related to investing? Um, have you read any good books recently? If anybody wants to uh, be a trader or really a portfolio manager, one of the best books uh, was almost 100 years ago, and it's still very relevant today, is Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. It's uh, about the life of Jesse Livermore, and it's absolutely incredible that as much as things change, a lot of things are the same, and the market's a lot about emotions, um, bear markets, bull markets. You know, people people get very excited at the top. People panic at the bottom. It, that stuff has not changed uh, in, in three, 400 years. That is a fantastic book. And look, I, I read a lot about history, uh, everything from the tulip bubble. I, I like reading about speculation. You know, I think Sir Isaac Newton was one of the greatest mathematician, method calculus. He was generally a very safe investor. And then there was uh, something called the South Sea Bubble. There was some sort of... Uh, a, a stock uh, a scam at, in, in the 1600s, I think. First, he put money into it, then he got out, and then it kept going. like It was like literally like Bitcoin. And then he just put all his money, and he lost millions of dollars. And this guy is the smartest guy uh, of the generation, and he fell for a scam. And and you got to be really, really careful. So reading history is helpful. Somebody in the finance industry, Liar's Poker, is a fantastic book. Um, it taught me a lot about you know, when something happens, and he speaks a lot about uh, uh, Chernobyl, like what kind of, what could you trade on it? How did it affect uh, commodities and food and, and everything? And we're always looking at, you know, what was recently um, Ozempic. There are some stocks that are incredibly uh, benefit, benefiting from it. And the weight when, loss drug. The weight loss drug, exactly. And we're also looking, um, doesn't mean people are going to eat less cereal. I, I don't know what the answer is, but we're... We're always looking at that. So, so I, I, that that liar's poker is a is a fun book. One of just in terms about stocks, and it also gives a little about charts. Um, and he just passed away. It was William O'Neill, who is the founder of the Investor Business Daily, but he has a stock, How to Make Money and How to Make Money in Stocks, I think it's called by William O'Neill. Very very helpful book. Good title. What would be your closing thirty second remarks to people? It could be summarizing everything we said into a nutshell. It could be touching on something we didn't even get to. I think this has been very insightful. Um, a lot of good nuggets in here related to investing. And I'm excited about this episode because this is one of those episodes where if people in truly incorporate what we discussed here today, it could save them from losing their life savings without exaggerating. I think they call it on Twitter a Gavir culture, where a lot of people think a lot and, and emulate and want to have a lot of money. And um, there's no quick way to do it. It's very difficult. It's You really have to go slow and be careful and everything. But there, there's really just a lot of wonderful people in our neighborhood, uh, charities, uh, people on these podcasts that have uh, just incredible stories. So the Gavirs are great. They give a lot of tzedakah. They're doing tremendous things for the community. And if it works, if we can make, we should try to make as much money as we can. But it can't be in a desperate way where you just start gambling or do things that are not a not you know not appropriate. There are people who invest and uh, don't you know they won't tell their wife that they're investing because if they lose money, if you're if you're at that point, you're not doing any anybody any good. You know, obviously, try to do your job. The best thing to invest in very often is your own company, your own business. 
Uh, you could buy you could buy the building of your of your your companies in. There's a, people have done tremendously well there. So I think everyone should be careful. Do not invest poorly. If you if you get rid of the the two or three disaster investments, uh, most people would would do would do far better. And uh, and you got to live to fight another day. Don't do anything where which is going to knock you out. You got to be in the game. Um, got to survive, and uh, it's very competitive out there. But I think if people who are careful, they they could really do well in investing. Thank you so much, Jason. And I think David Bashevkin coined Gvir culture in that very seat on, oh, okay. on a podcast episode. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know it's from him. I, I yeah. like him a lot. He's he's amazing. He's great. Uh, so I, I I did take it from him. He gets full credit for that, and uh, you know I I think he's been terrific in terms of uh, educating people as well. Yeah, he's been great. Free uh, shout out to David Bashevkin. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of Kosher Money. We're practically 60 episodes in. That is crazy. We've been at this for over two years. If you listen to the end, all the way to the end, I have a secret tip for you. There's a website called missingmoney.com. This is not a paid ad. This is the only website endorsed by states and provinces working together to reunite you with your lost funds. A lot of people have money that the government's holding up. Go on that website, search your name, and see if you didn't grab a tax return that you were entitled to, um, a recall on some product, and you're entitled to money. They've paid out $3 billion in paid claims in the last year, and one in every seven per people have unclaimed property. And the average claim is 2080 bucks. I just got $65 from the state of New Jersey. No clue. This is not a pay. This is a tip because I'm rewarding you for listening through the entire episode. And that's huge. And I appreciate that. If you did listen to this and you're on YouTube, I'd love for you to get into the comments section and write the word thanks. It can be a sentence long. Just stick the word thanks in there so I know that you actually got this far. It means a lot to me. We have had been testing different words in our outros, and it's kind of cool. I see all the comments, the love, the hate, mostly love. And when you leave a comment, it shows me that you listened to the entire thing. And that makes my heart warm and fuzzy. Thank you to our sponsors, Twillery, Approved Funding, Kola Chabad. The links are in the show notes. Support our sponsors. And that helps us continue pumping out the quality content. A lot of people say there's quality in here. There's value. If you're looking to get rich quickly, this is not the show for you. If you're looking to attain wealth slowly, smartly, this is the show for you. Welcome to Kosher Money. I'm glad to have you. Thank you to our friends at Living Smarter Jewish. If you need a financial advisor, if you're looking for a resource, if you have an interesting money question, reach out to them. They have free resources. They can connect you with people that out of the goodness of their own heart will guide you in a way that you'll feel comfortable with. And we're really proud of them, a division of the OU. So reach out to livingsmarterjewish.org. Link is in the show notes. Shout out to Zevi. Love you. And also... Mishpacha Magazine. We're in there pretty much every other week with bonus content. If you go to mishpacha.com, you'll see bonus video that we sit down with previous guests and we try to dig in even deeper on this content. I'm really excited. Um, We got a whole um, new series planned. 
not necessarily related to money. So um, for the first time I'm producing or an episode series, something really cool. Can't say too much, but we just got the contract signed and really cool stuff in the upcoming year. I'm excited about that. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. If you're on a podcast stream, thank you for listening. You're driving somewhere. I love when I get voice notes or videos of people that are parked and they show me that they're listening. Um, It's cool. It's cool to see how many people we're impacting and so many of you don't reach out, but I know you're there. So I'm watching you. Have a good one. See you next time. Bye. Living L'Chaim.